Coming up on Word Matters, some terms for people and things better avoided. I'm Emily Brewster, and Word Matters is produced by Merriam-Webster in collaboration with New England Public Media. On each episode, Merriam-Webster editors Ammon Shea, Peter Sokolowski, and I explore some aspect of the English language from the dictionary's vantage point. We all know it's unwise to buy snake oil from snake oil salesmen, but we all also know that there's nothing truly reptilian involved with either the oil or the purveyor, which naturally leads to this question. Who put the snake in snake oil? Or did the term originally have to do with the scaly, slithery ones? Ammon fills us in. English is this wonderful descriptive language, and one of the things that's so enjoyable about it is that it mixes both the figurative and the literal in kind of equal measure sometimes. And so we have a lot of terms and words, like the one that comes to mind is snake oil, which kind of raises the question of, does snake oil actually come from snakes? (laughs) And as is so often, the answer to this is either yes or yes. You probably wish you hadn't asked the question, but snake oil is not actually used in the even semi-literal sense anymore. It's used mostly with the meaning of, we define it as poppycock or bunkum, meaning something that is untrue. But you're saying it did originally refer to oil derived from the body of a snake? Well, the earliest meaning that we have is we define it as any of various substances or mixtures sold as by a traveling medicine show as medicine, usually without regard to their medical worth or properties, which is not actually saying that there was snake oil in this. However, in the earliest use of it, well, people did try to use snake oil in some way. Early on, going back to the early 17th century, there are records, say, in Pliny the Elder. In the history of the world, he has a couple of instances where he talks about the grease of snakes. Now, that would be a translation of Pliny. Right, right. translation of Pliny, translated by uh, Philemon Holland, which is a famous translation in 1934. Pliny, of course, was well, well before that. And there are various ailments you would take the grease of a snake and, like, rub it in your eyes. (laughs) Pliny had all kinds of really unappetizing remedies in his history of the world. He talked about things you would use in your ear, like the urine of a female goat, as long as it was warm. Again, the dung of a she-goat, as long as it's mixed with hog grease. Urine of a calf, which has to be mixed with vinegar, and it's only as long as the animal had never eaten grass. Sperm of a boar taken from a sow, as long as it hasn't actually touched the ground. And these are all remedies, home remedies of the early 17th century, are translated in the early 17th century. And so snake oil kind of poured into your ear or into your eye. It fits right in there. This is going back to essentially Roman era medical theories that were pre-scientific. Right. Although a a lot of things that we would think of as, please let that be (laughs) pre-scientific, lasted for a long time. (laughs) I mean, if you look in the Oxford English Dictionary, I think one of the words they have in there is puppy water, which was urine of a puppy used as a cosmetic. That one's going to come back. I'm going to make a prediction right here. I think another word in the Oxford English Dictionary was lant, which was stale urine, which was used to ostensibly, and I'm using ostensibly very broadly, improve the flavor of beer. It was actually lantify, I think, was a term for basically putting urine into beer. And these are words that are current well through the 19th century. These are not Roman-era terms, you know. So we're doing all kinds of horrible things with food and substances from other animals. And so snake oil really fits right in there. And so 
Once we get to the kind of earliest use of it in modern use, it's in the 18th century, and people did have rattlesnake oil was the, the main one. And mm. it was typically that you would take a dead rattlesnake and you would soak it in oil, and then you would use the oil for ah. various remedies. However, it's not that easy to soak a rattlesnake in oil, particularly <laughs> if the snake doesn't feel like being <laughs> soaked up in oil. So people would then sell snake oil in many forms, and a lot of times it was just fake. It was also used as a synonym for liquor in the 19th century, and the citation, we have informed that one of our citizens got off his K-base, uncertain what that is, and went home last Sunday night while under the influence of snake oil and turned the house out of doors. That's a citation from 1885 in the Leonardville Monitor from Kansas. And then at the end of the 19th century, we started to see snake oil being used specifically as a mixture sold as medicine without mm. regards with medical worth. And we have citations from about the same time as when it was being used as a synonym for liquor. The 1880s, the snake oil vendors paid our town a visit on Thursday and by their oily ways snaked a good many 50-cent pieces away with them. And then shortly after that, it takes on its entirely figurative meaning of just kind of poppycock or bunkum. And then connected with salesmen. Right. Snake oil salesman is the common turn of phrase. Interesting. Now, Jonathan Green of Green's Dictionary of Slang defines oil merchant as being a U.S. slang term that means a flatterer or swindler. Uh-huh. Oh, I wonder if that's connected. I assume it is, yeah. right? An oil merchant. That sounds like it. Yeah. You say flatterer, right? And so we have that term oleaginous. And it just oily can sometimes mean flattering, right? Right. 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 And also unctuous. Unctuous. All of these terms have a negative connotation. Right. That's right. The idea is you're massaging people into believing yes. you, right? <laughs> you're telling them things that they want to hear so that they will trust you and, and believe say, you. And we even say slick in that way. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. right. Snake oil, I guess it did at one point probably have some oil from some snake in it in its composition, but you'll be glad to know that the modern-day snake oil is 100% free of any snake. <laughs> Unless it's a figurative snake. Right. You're listening to Word Matters. I'm Emily Brewster. We'll be right back with the story behind a modern insult. Word Matters is produced by Merriam-Webster in collaboration with New England Public Media. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with BiteClear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. BiteClear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I'm Ammon Shea. Do you have a question about the origin, history, or meaning of a word? Email us at wordmatters at m-w.com. I'm Peter Sokolowski. Join me every day for The Word of the Day, a brief look at the history and definition of one word, available at merriam-webster.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And for more podcasts from New England Public Media, visit the NEPM Podcast Hub at nepm.org. 
Of all the euphonious insults out there, asshat has, I think, a particular charm. We won't say that we think you should lob it about indiscriminately, but we will say it's an interesting item in the language that's worth investigating. Ahead, Ammon takes on the task. One of the many ineffable pleasures of working in lexicography, and there really are, are many such pleasures, but just one of them is when we are given the opportunity to kind of really pay close attention to the glories of the English language, the really high, noble language, and dig deep into the meanings and the origins of things like this. And I'm talking, of course, about words like, well, asshat is, is the first <laughs> example that comes to mind, which is one of the more recent additions to our dictionary, but is no less deserving of kind of examination than any other word. So we do define asshat and we label it as, well, vulgar slang because it is. The plural for anyone who's wondering about this is asshats, not Ass's hat. And we define it as a stupid, annoying, or detestable person. Very similarly, as a lot of semantic overlap with another word which shares the initial four letters. It's a recent addition to our language. It's another example of a word coming up recently and yet getting enough currency in the language almost immediately that it's deserving of being entered and defined. Do you guys use ass hat in daily conversation? I can't say I do. I find it incredibly colorful and I love it. It may be that it's a little bit more recent and that's an interesting thing. You pick up your habits earlier in life and so I might associate it with maybe people younger than me. I think I use it but mostly sort of spoken under my breath. I really like the repetition of the vowels. I think it's a euphonious yeah, yeah. word, ass hat. I think it's more satisfying to say than its whole related synonym. I agree with you, Peter. It is kind of the language of people younger than I am. I came across it in use by a lexicographer, and this is, I have to say, one of my favorite citations that I've ever entered anywhere, which was Steve Kleinedler, of course, the, mm -hmm. the former editor-in-chief of the American Heritage Dictionary, a longtime friend of Miriam and a great lexicographer. And he was being interviewed about pronoun usage, about they, singular they, I think, and how people decide their pronouns. And his response to the question about pronoun usage, he said, in the case of pronoun usage, it really comes down to, are you being a nice person or an asshat? <laughs> and it really is a great citation because it really demonstrates the use and the meaning of the word very nicely. And it's also germane to other kind of lexicographic things that we're interested in. And I felt like Steve used it in a nice trenchant way. It does have a real ring to it. Asshat has a certain kind of heft as an insult. And one of the things that is very interesting about it is that it is so new. And as far as we've been able to tell dates, the very most dates back to the late 1990s. And we found a couple of citations in Usenet groups. Like in 1999, there was an advertisement. Somebody was selling action figures from the Chips TV show. And they were selling Ponce, John, Sarge, Jimmy Squeaks, and then that stupid asshat Eric Mouse. One of the things about this kind of language is that in most cases, it probably comes up in spoken form rather than written form. Mm -hmm. So we don't exactly know when asshat goes back. But it seems unlikely it goes back substantially more than the late 1990s. Now, what's curious about this to me is that there's a very similar word, asshead, which has been around for about 500 years. So we've embraced asshead for hundreds and hundreds of years. There's a lovely citation from Thomas Beacon, news out of heaven, both pleasant and joyful from 1541. They think it 
a hundred years. If he preaches but half an hour, so little pleasure have these assheads in hearing the glorious and blessed word of God. So this is a long time, well-established pejorative in the English language. So why is it that asshead took so thoroughly and it took us so long to get around to using asshat? Just the unfairness of English? I don't know, because the word hat does have some employment as a term of insult, right? Hat has been used with a variety of meanings other than the article of adornment for one's head. It seems like it's a useful end of a word. It was a great compound. Well, there's also a difference between frequency and the length of time a word has been in the language. So if asshead's been around for a long time, but it's not very common. It's not very commonly used today, certainly. It seems a little archaic to me. I knew we were going to talk about this, and I was trying to come up with other hat insults, but it made me think about some other compounding forms that I think are increasingly used. One is skillet and pants. Hat, skillet, and pants these days are just, they're useful in attaching to terms of insult. I'm unfamiliar with the skillet ones. What are they? Well, fuck skillet is what comes to my mind. Uh -huh. I don't know. Maybe that's just among my friends. <laughs> that is new to me. New I to like me. it. Yeah. And pants? I hesitate to ask. <laughs> well, pants is a classic comedic term. We all know that, right? Right. It comes from Comedia dell'arte. It's a pantalone. It's like, pants is it's, funny. It's, yeah, there's a British turn of phrase that's gone pants. It's gone wrong. It's not at all used in the U.S., but pants does have this currency as something unfortunate having happened. I feel like a hat and pants, they're both articles of clothing or accessorizing. Hat seems to lend itself to this. It seems more jocular than head. Asshat, it still is mean, but seems funnier than asshead. Right. Well, there's also what I think is just starting to come into play is in the extended form of asshattery, which we do not yet define. It does not have sufficient currency in the language. We don't know if it's going to stick around. Because, you know, one of the things that's very difficult about words like this is they crop up. They're maybe suddenly very popular, but it's never initially obvious, or it's rarely initially obvious that the word is going to stick around sufficiently that it warrants being put into R or any other dictionary. There are obvious exceptions to this, but it seems like asshat pretty quickly achieved that level of currency. Asshattery, we don't know yet. The other things that I think is kind of interesting about this is the use of asshat, of ass in the beginning of the word, as opposed to the end. And you see ass used as a compound infix in a lot of places. A lot of times it's used as an intensifier, like he was a grown-ass man. And that has a very distinct, concrete meaning. And it also gets used as a suffix. And one of the more common ones was badass. A lot of people trace it to the, the, the great band. People's film, Sweetback's Badass Song, 1970. But there were earlier used uh, Sonora McKellar, a writer in the Antioch Review, fall of 1967. Here comes them, two would-be badass brothers. So it dates to the mid-60s, at least. Um, and I have to interject and say that one of my earliest joys as a lexicographer was putting the second sense of badass in the dictionary. Oh. Yeah. When I joined Merriam-Webster, we had only the meaning of the word ready to cause or get into trouble. And when we were working on the 11th Collegiate Dictionary, when I was just a baby lexicographer, I defined the second sense of the word, which is a formidable strength or skill, I think is how it is defined. <laughs> This was also in the same era of time when I spent a couple days on just ass. I'd been at Merriam-Webster for maybe a year at this point, and I came home one day and really with no self-consciousness, self-awareness at all, I said I spent the day working on ass. <laughs>
I was exhausted. Well, you, you spoke truth. So, you know, one of the, the final notes that I'd like to, to mention about this is that this is not something that's obvious from colloquial use, from listening to ass and speech. But people often talk about the importance of punctuation. And, and I feel like, you know, it's kind of a ridiculous thing. Like, you know, let's eat grandma. You take out the comma. Like you're saying, let's eat grandmother. And of course, you're not. We always can pretty much tell from context what's intended, whether this, but there is an exception to that, I think, which is when we're talking about sweet ass hat. If you say to someone, that is a sweet ass hat, and you put the proper hyphen between sweet and ass, then you were talking about a piece of headwear that is of rare magnificence. But if you take that hyphen out and you make it, that's a sweet ass hat, then it's suddenly rife with confusion. Are we talking about a person who is an asshat yet still somehow manages to be a sweet person in spite of their asshattery? Are we talking about something that you wear? The possibility for confusion is is significant there. We can't leave a conversation about the word <laughs> asshat without talking about the etymology note in the merriamwebster.com right. dictionary by Jim Rader, longtime etymologist at Merriam-Webster. I love this note. I'm going to read it. Please read it. Okay. The seemingly nonsensical linking of ass and hat has a curious prehistory. Examples of the linkage can be found in dialogue lines from late 20th century films. Anyone found bipedal in five wears his ass for a hat. This is addressed to the employees of a bank as the robbers leave in Raising Arizona, 1987. I like your ass. Can I wear it as a hat? A character's parody of a flirtatious advance from City Slickers, 1991. Of more immediate etymological relevance may be this dialogue sequence from the television series That 70s Show. Read. Eric, if you don't want to wear your ass for a hat, you'll get up here pronto. Donna responds. You better go. You know how that ass hat screws up your hair. That episode aired in 2000. The current meaning of asshat may be a reanalysis, perhaps in part based on the expression have one's head up one's ass, meaning to be obtuse, be insufficiently conscious of one's surroundings, perhaps in part due to simple phonetic similarity to asshole. Who can say after listening to that, the English language is going to hell in a handbasket? <laughs> it's going to hell in a hat, in an asshat. Let us know what you think about Word Matters. Review us wherever you get your podcasts or email us at wordmatters at m-w.com. You can also visit us at nepm.org. And for the word of the day and all your general dictionary needs, visit merriam-webster.com. Our theme music is by Tobias Voigt. Artwork by Annie Jacobson. Word Matters is produced by John Vosey and Adam Maid. For Peter Sokolowski and Amon Shea, I'm Emily Brewster. Word Matters is produced by Merriam-Webster in collaboration with New England Public Media.